I'm normally uh, preaching over at Christchurch Grammar School as the chaplain, but um, it's wonderful to be sharing this message with, you, with us this morning. Let me pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through your son Jesus, and we thank you for your word that testifies to him, the Bible. Please open our hearts to listen to it so that we would know you, we would know ourselves, and we know the joy of living your, uh, your way. Amen. My family and I have been living in Perth now for three and a half years. We moved from Sydney and thinking about it, there was a lot that was good that we left behind. A uh, beautiful harbour, the Opera House, the Harbour Bridge, New Year's Eve fireworks like no other. We left behind our home, the car we sold before we moved, the little joy of driving down roads and streets that we grew up in, a knowledge of the city that had been our whole lives. But to be honest, none of those things really mattered that much emotionally to us when we moved. I mean, sure, we gave up the harbour, but we never used it anyway because there was too much traffic getting there. And the Swan River is pretty beautiful in its own right. And while the New Year's Eve fireworks were great, since we had kids, we always went to bed at 10 o'clock regardless of what happened, knowing that our kids would never sleep in. But you know what did factor a lot in our move here? It was the people that we left behind. Uh, when we decided to move, we'd, we'd locked it in. I, I rediscovered that old song by the village people, made, mo- made most famous by the Pet Shop Boys, Go West. And the lyrics were so fitting for us, not just the title. Uh, Go West, life is peaceful there, in the open air, where the skies are blue. We will love the beach. We will learn and teach change our pace of life. Moving from Sydney to Perth to take up a job in a school, that works. And it goes on. Go west, life is peaceful there in the open air. Baby, you and me, this is our destiny. Sun in the wintertime, look outside. We'll do just fine where the skies are blue. Together we'll find a place where there's so much space without rush and the pace back east. The hustling, rustling just to feed. I know I'm ready to leave too. That's what we're going to do. But I remember a couple of times playing this song, and when we got to one line of it, our pen, my wife, would, would, would burst into tears every time. One, life, one line did it so powerfully that I just couldn't play the song anymore. And it was this. Together, we tell all our friends goodbye. We didn't care that we left behind the harbour or the city or the car or the house or anything else of that order, but we cared deeply that we had to say goodbye to our friends. And it was because they knew us. We had history with them. We'd grown up together. We'd shared memories and experiences. We could relax with them and be ourselves around them in ways we couldn't with others. They understood us and knew us and valued us. And leaving them was, was about as hard as anything that we had to do. I think that we have something of a universal human desire to be known by others and known well, to be valued, to be accepted by them. It's hard saying goodbye to friends and family because we're working against what we desire and what we really need, this connection with those who know us and know us well. But the problem is that that as beautiful and, and rich as human friendships and families can be, they can also be disappointing. I mean, isn't it in those relationships with someone who knows us deeply that we have the greatest potential to be hurt. It's why a whole lot of human pain comes from family politics, divorce.
horses, fares, and even great friends can let us down. Or just grow distant. Or we change. We, we humans are limited to space and time, and when we, we are separate in space and time, friendships are never what they once were. One of the great joys in life is being known and known well, but the world's brokenness and and the limitations of humanity reaches as far as those joys as well. And so it is that we come to a text of the Bible today of which the great reformer Martin Luther said this, It would be good if this text were written in letters of gold, so admirable it is and full of comfort. Or he zooms in on one specific word within the text and he writes this, This little word surpasses all the eloquence of Demosthenes, Cicero and of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the world. One word. And the word is the one we find toward the end of of verse 15, Abba. Our universal human desire to be known by others finds its rest in those four letters, Abba. And that's what I'll be unpacking today. Let me read it in context for you. From the start of verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So let's, uh, let's begin by thinking about this word Abba. It's not some Swedish band. It's untranslated Aramaic. And Aramaic was the language of the Jewish people of Jesus' day. It would have been the native language of Jesus himself. It is likely it remains untranslated because Jesus quite literally taught his followers to pray using this address for God. And we know that he did. The first word of the Lord's Prayer is Abba, translates roughly in English as Father. Uh, Jesus wasn't actually the first to use this address of God, but it certainly was not very common. We have other ancient Jewish prayers from the period, and they use titles like God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, God of our fathers, Blessed One, Holy One, Builder of Jerusalem, Mighty One, Redeemer of Israel. Father is there occasionally, uh, but rarely. It was Jesus, but it was Jesus' most common address for God in prayer. A term that opens God up to the world, I think, because while he is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He's also the God of all people because all people have a father. But really the most significant thing about this term is that Abba is the household word for father. Now the problem with translating it as father in English today is that father's not really a household term anymore. I don't think I've once in my life called my dad father. You know, I might, maybe I did out of mockery once. Yes, Father, but never, never sincerely, ever. I've heard preachers um, on this word say, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't really translate it as daddy, that's too sentimental. But that's the point, really. 
it's the household term. And, and just as we find it a little uncomfortable, so the Jews of Jesus' day likely did as well. Found it uncomfortable for Jesus to refer to God like that. Now, the word could be used to address a teacher or a person that you wanted to show respect to uh, in the same way that we might use the term to address a priest in the Catholic tradition. But its most basic and obvious usage is in the home. It's one of intimacy, one of familiarity, one of deep emotional connection. It's a term used by family. That reminds me of a story of a professor of Middle Eastern Studies in Jerusalem whose name's Kenneth Bailey, and he once sat down, he says, with a group of Lebanese women, uh, Christian women, to, to begin to teach them about the meaning and significance of this word, Abba. And before long, he got the impression from their body language and their faces that something was wrong, and, and so he stopped, and he said, he said, what is it? And they were a bit hesitant, but one spoke up and said, Professor, Abba is the first word we teach our children. This is why Abba is, is so beautiful for us. It is one of the most intimate household terms. And, and we Christians by the Spirit can address God like that. Now just let that sink in for a second. The God who is before all things, first and last, who knows all, sees all, can do anything, causes all things to move and have their being. The God who makes our hearts beat, our, our chests fall and rise, who spins the earth and every planet with a word, can be anywhere and everywhere all the time. This God we call Dad. Isn't Luther right when he says, this little word surpasses all the eloquence of the most eloquent rhetoricians that ever were in the that we can call God Abba is the resting point of our human desire to be known. Because in this word, we are not just known by anyone. We are known by majesty, by infinity, by divinity. You are known, and you are known more than anyone could ever know you. And you are valued, and you are loved by the being on which the whole universe depends. It is no wonder that our desire to be known finds its resting place there, not in friends, not in family, that the joy, the real joy of our connection with them, even in its beauty, is only a shadow of what we find in God, our dad, our Abba, a word that should be written in gold. Now, before we uh, go on, I, I just I, I do want to say that I, I recognise that not everyone has had an ideal human father. Well, none of us have had an ideal human father, but some of us have had terrible fathers or absent fathers, and and our memories remind of us remind them of, uh, us of that. But I want you to know that the term father, when used of God, shouldn't so much be a reminder of our human fathers, but of the story of the prodigal son in Luke 14 where the father welcomes the wayward son home with open arms and invites both sinner and Pharisee into his house to be with him because he loves them and values them unconditionally. This is the kind of father that God is. Generous, forgiving, welcoming. So you hear that word, think that story. 
Now, this is a series on the Holy Spirit, and so we've got to ask the question, what, what actually is the Spirit's role here? Verse 15 says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Spirit's role is, is to make us children of God, and to teach us that we are children of God. It is the very Spirit who cries, Abba, Father, with us. I, I don't think I've ever been to a, uh, a doctor's where I, I didn't see their qualifications there on the wall. It just seems to be standard practice. And, and those qualifications do two things. They firstly are the qualifications that quite literally make the person a doctor. If they, if they don't have them to their name you probably don't want to see that doctor. Uh, But they also are there to remind us, their patients, that they are qualified. They're a qualified doctor. They both make them a doctor and teach us that they are a doctor. Now, I realise that this is a little impersonal and the spirit is personal, but it it, it is a bit like the role of the spirit to make us God's dearly beloved and adopted children and to teach us that we are his children. And we're taught primarily by praying Abba, Father, by relating to God as his children, by depending on him in our lives and in prayer, by having a sense in our hearts that we are family. Now, as soon as I say that, I recognise that there's a problem here. It says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, what if we don't really feel that? You know, it may seem a funny question to some of you, but, but it's a very real one for many of us. What if I don't feel that enough? I don't think I feel that enough. How do we know that this is us and we don't really feel like it? I, uh, I, I turned 40 in a few months, and my body at times uh, reminds me that I'm turning 40. I, I'm losing a bit more hair, and for some reason it's changing colour. I, uh, I have a bit of a dodgy back, but but inside, in here, 40? Really? I I still feel like a 16-year-old, and I remember meeting 40-year-olds and thinking they were really old, or really responsible, or had their life together. I don't really feel any of those things. You know, I'm almost 40, but I don't feel like it. But guess what? I'm still almost 40. You might not feel like this adoption is yours, and yet you want it. Well, that says you're a child of God. Romans 10, a couple of chapters on, says, If you believe that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you are a child of God. If you want to be his child, you are his child. And maybe part of the reason we don't feel the Spirit bearing witness enough is that we simply don't spend enough crying out, Abba, to God. You see, our language can shape who we are and our prayers can shape who we are. Now, this is not a recipe. This isn't go and pray more and God will dispense it automatically. But, but it is the way the Spirit acts through prayer. If we cry out to God as his children, if we address him as Abba, as Father, and mean it, and we spend time pausing on the meaning of that beautiful word, then that very simple action is absolutely life-changing. It is that that reminds us that we are his children. 
Uh, there are certain benefits of being a child in some families, probably every family. A couple of twins at school are the sons of an orthodontist, and a couple of months ago I noticed that they both had braces on their teeth. I said, did your dad do those? Yep, they said. Now, that's, that's quite a saving if you know the price of orthodontic work. Uh, my own children get the benefit of using the school facilities and the pool on the weekends. Uh, growing up, my dad was a restaurant owner. He owned a curry restaurant. And, uh, of course, we ate a lot of uh, free restaurant-quality curry at home as a kid. We are the children of God, our Abba, our Father, and our, our desire to be known as met in him, but their benefits keep abounding. Verse 15 mentions that the Spirit frees us from slavery, slavery to sin or to the human flesh, as Paul would put it, slavery to a life driven by our own desires or ambitions. And instead, we're brought into the freedom of being God's adopted children. It means sin and selfishness is not our way of life. Looking out for ourselves, defining ourselves, being ourselves is in God's language slavery to flesh. Instead, we have the freedom and joy of living in God's house as his children, living his way of freedom and peace, the joy of following his commands, the life of the Spirit. And if we're God's children, then we are sisters and brothers of Christ himself. Verse 17. Now Helen asked the children earlier what it would be like to have Jesus as your older brother. Guess what? Jesus is your older brother. (laughs) That's what verse 17 says. Let's take stock of that for a second. You are a sibling of Jesus. He is your household brother. It's as if you grew up with him. And we are heirs with him, inheritors with him, inheritors of the resurrection life, eternal life in the kingdom of God, the new creation. We are even rulers as he is and will be a ruler. Rulers in a world of peace, joy and life to its fullest, the kingdom of God. That is your future because you are a child of the infinite God. But then he ends, if in fact we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. One of the things that's distinctive about our family, the family of Christ, is that it's a family who suffers because Christ suffered. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like I suffer much living in the western suburbs of Perth. And I don't, nothing like our brothers and sisters in some parts of the world do for their faith. Now, we, now we, we do suffer the pains and brokenness of the world and, and some much more than others. But I think he's talking about the kind of suffering that Jesus faced. Suffering for loving and obeying God, his Father. We don't suffer that much. But we do experience things that are on the same trajectory. I think of the media's portrayal of Christians as fanatics or bigots. The look of bewilderment when you tell someone that you've just met that you're a Christian. The sly comments or criticisms. Now, it's not much, I know, but but there because we're brothers and sisters with Christ. And those who study global persecutions are increasingly arguing that the trend in the West is toward an increased persecution of Christians. It probably won't look like state violence as such, 
but they say it may be things like a loss of opportunities and promotions, privileges, services, because we cannot sign up to a dominant secular way of understanding humanity or identity. When things get harder for us as Christians, we remember this. We suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. God does not abandon his children. And while suffering is the lot of those who follow the crucified one, we remember that the crucified one, where is he now, is resurrected and reigning in heaven, our brother. And God is our Abba, our dad, and all our hopes, needs and desires are met in him. We are brothers and sisters of Christ the Saviour who suffered and died for us and rose again in victory over death, granting resurrection life to the world. I think back to the best friends I've had through my life. I had a uh, best friend in preschool that I kept in touch with a little through high school. He lives in America now and we're friends on Facebook. That's about it. I had a best friend, Steve, in primary school who lived around the corner from me. We spent many weekends and holidays playing in the streets, doing things we shouldn't, forming memories and scars that I'll never forget and never lose. We, haven't, uh, he went, to, we went to different high schools and we haven't spoken in years. And like my other friend, we're friends on Facebook. In high school, I think my closest friend, a Christian while I knew him and we lost touch shortly after school and I attended his funeral about five years ago. I remember another close friend in theological college, another Nick. We shared many laughs during those years. I have great memories of chilli hot pot and craft beer after exams. He, uh, he lives in Queensland. And I get his prayer letter and he gets mine. Last weekend, Penn and I said goodbye to our closest friends in Perth as they moved back to Melbourne. I still have my family. They're in Sydney. My brother's in Queensland. I haven't seen in about four years. I truly rejoice and and treasure my immediate family, my wife and my three boys. Human friendships and relationships are one of those great beauties and joys in life. But they change because we change. They are temporal and fleeting because like the grass that withers and the flowers that fall, we are temporal and fleeting. But I know this. God's spirit is within me. And we cry, Abba, Father, to the eternal and unchanging God who knows me as his dearly beloved child. He is always there, always with me, never changes. Hallelujah. Now, I don't know about you, but God today is telling me to cherish and treasure my true family, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And maybe he's saying something similar to you. 